Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Now he's been wanting to put garlic chives in everything. <laughs> well, not everything. Dad, the sight of your face is drooping. Mom? It's probably nothing. Dad, are you okay? You're slurring. Why are you slurring? Raise your arms up in the air for me. Dad, are you okay? Gracie, call 911. I just... Honey? Oh, Dad! Tim! Tim! Tim, look at me, Gracie. Tell them to hurry. Tim, look at me. Look at me, Tim. I don't know. I think he's having a stroke. I think my dad is having a stroke. Tim, Tim, what's going on, baby? I think he's cold. Are you cold, honey? Are you cold? Okay. Gracie? See, Gracie's going to come, sweetheart. We're just going to go. We're just going to go in the ambulance right now. We're going to go to the hospital. Okay? Okay. Well, I'm right here. I'm right here. Gracie, meet us there. I'm right here. I'm right here. Okay. Okay, here we go. You just stay right here. You just stay and breathe. Just breathe. Tim? Tim? Dad? How you feeling? I'm fine. Well, you've had a stroke. But because you got here quickly, you're looking at a full recovery. Would you know when someone is suffering from a stroke? Recognizing the signs and acting quickly can mean the difference between life and death. Good morning to you. It's uh, John Jang in for Mike Smith this morning. Uh, We begin today's program out in New Westminster, the oldest city in the province where 81-year-old Lori Williams once served as a city councillor for 16 years. But on August 6, 2022, Lori suffered a stroke. And unlike in the scenario that you just heard where an ambulance could arrive quickly, Lori was forced to wait almost two hours for emergency assistance. Joining us now is Lori's brother, Alan Greenwood. Alan, thank you so much for giving us some time here today. Sure, no problem. I Before we get into Lori, let me just share with you, Alan, that my father had a small stroke this year back in February. And I count my stars, and I'm blessed every day because he, it was a very mild stroke, and he had access to an ambulance pretty much right away. And he was able to get treatment, and he has recovered basically 95%. It is nothing short of a miracle, in my opinion. When I, read this, when I read this story about what happened with your sister, Alan, I, I, I feel immense amounts of heartbreak for you because this is the other side of that story. And so take us through exactly what happened with your sister and how she's doing today as a result of the delayed response. Sure. Well, she, she had a stroke, and fortunately, uh, there was friends with her, and one of them happened actually to be a doctor, so they recognized the symptoms immediately. Uh, she called for an ambulance within you know, 60 seconds of, of Lori starting the stroke, and uh, then she, they waited, uh, and they waited, and it was over an hour hmm. before 
before the ambulance arrived, and it was almost two hours before they got her to Royal Columbian Hospital. The, the irony being that, you know, Lori can see the hospital from her house uh, in Westminster. So three blocks away, and it took them two hours to get her there. And she immediately went into surgery uh, for, for um, I guess, a blockage in the, one of the arteries in the brain. And, right. and now she's in the hospital and partially paralyzed, and we don't know the outcome. But, you know, you don't need to be a doctor to know that that, that two-hour wait didn't do good things for Lori. No, no, absolutely not. In fact, that's one of the things the doctors, the nurses, for my dad's situation, one of the things they said is that they were very lucky that they were able to get to him and treat him almost immediately. Now, the difference here between what my father went through and what your sister has gone through is that my father lives in Alberta. He lives in a different province with different medical systems. Here in BC, it's been well documented that ambulance and paramedics are in short supply and they're overworked and the, the, the system is just stretched thin. Unfortunately, what we're seeing with your sister seems like a case of where this is happening way too frequently. And if doctors would tell you, Alan, that they could have helped and, and ho- who knows, maybe maybe prevent her from being partially paralyzed the way that she is now, if they had just gotten to her sooner, how frustrating and how heartbreaking is that for you and the rest of your family? Well, it's infuriating. You know, we're, you know I'm born and raised here. You know, we both paid taxes for half a century. And, uh, you know, when it really came to crunch time, when we needed a service, and when you need an ambulance, you need an ambulance, and you need it right away, it was not there. And, you know, so I've got so many questions uh, to ask about, you know, what happened. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've gotten nothing back yet. Um, but, you know, is there not enough ambulances? Is there not enough people? You know, I, I don't know what's going on, but all I know is that it's, it's wrong that you have to wait an hour in that condition um, when, you know, they know it's a stroke. Of course, and a stroke can be potentially fatal. Uh, I mean, the silver lining to the story is that, of course, your sister, uh, she is stable. Of course, her her actual condition with the partial uh, paralysis, that is very serious and, of course, something that your family is so concerned and worried about. But, yeah, I, I think I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. If somebody is in a life or death situation, how in the hell are we satisfied with a two-hour ambulance response time? Like, this is a problem. We don't live in a part of the world where our medical system is, a, you know, comparable to, like, a third-world country. This is Canada. This is British Columbia. And yet this is what's happening to residents. Yes. I mean, all my life, you could count on the ambulance service. You know, it, it was good, it was there, it was fast. And then now, you know, you know, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to haul people in cars to emergency services now? You know, if, if that's the case, well, then tell us, you know, and, and, and we'll get people into taxis and get them to the emergency ward. But that's not the way it's supposed to be, and that's not the way it was for most of my life. And that, that's what's so frustrating, is that when you need it, it wasn't there. And that's not part of the, the contract. You know, we're supposed to pay our taxes. We're supposed to get help mm-hmm. when we need it. No, I, and Alan, I, I, I feel the, the frustration in your voice. I can hear it. I sense it. I, I would have the exact same response if I were in your position, asking the question if my father was where your sister is right now, because there needs to be more. There needs to be improvements. Uh, the 
BC Emergency Health Services, the, the group that oversees, of course, the, the dispatching of the ambulances, you telling me that they have really essentially said nothing to you? They, they have no real explanation yet as to, as to why it might have taken so long? No, they, they asked me to fill out a form, which I sent in, and evidently I made a mistake on a part of it, so they've sent it back to me to, to fill it in. That, that's all I've gotten. And what about yeah, that, that's, what about leadership in terms of like, for example, there's MLAs who can try and lobby for for a better response in in, in all this, uh, lobbying provincial leaders, the, the premier, uh, the health minister. I mean, surely there's 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 other people also that are part of the bigger picture here as to why people like your sister are suffering needlessly. Absolutely, uh, you know, it's just. You don't know who to go to at first. You don't know uh, who to ask, and you don't know the system uh, of command. And, and those are the kind of questions that, that I want to know, and, and I need answers. And, and that's why I'm thankful for people like you who are asking these types of questions on my behalf. You know, who, who is ultimately responsible for that almost two-hour delay? All right, welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. John Jang here with you, uh, filling in for Mike today. We're in conversation with Alan Greenwood. He's the brother of Lori Williams. Lori is a former New Westminster City Councillor, where she served her city for 16 years. But in August, Lori suffered from a stroke and had to wait nearly two hours for emergency assistance. That delay might have led to the reason where she's currently at right now partially paralyzed, unable to leave Royal Columbia. Uh, Alan, we've talked about what's happened to Lori, but tell me more about your sister. Tell me about Lori. What is her temperament right now? Because I can't imagine how difficult this must be. Um, and I, I just can't imagine how, how difficult it is. It can't be easy because of what she had to go through. Well, no. I mean, come on. She's uh, uh, my older sister, so she, she, you know, expects to be up and about and in charge and doing all the things she was doing. I mean, she was extremely active prior to this you know she was traveling she had lots of friends and was very active in the community and you know now she's in rch she's she's depressed and and who wouldn't be Mm -hmm. and you know it's trying to you know learn some basic uh you know how to how to eat and how to sit up you know when you're partially paralyzed right and it's really hard to see her uh like that it's it's you know it's it's not the sister I've seen all my life and, uh, you know, almost larger than life. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's awful seeing her the way she is right now. Does it feel fair to you? And look, certainly nobody should be in a position like your sister is in right now. But is it fair at all that a former city councillor who served the city of New Westminster for 16 years is now being essentially treated like this? I, I'm not saying it was done intentionally, but this is the reality, is that Lori is now dealing with this and there's so many questions as to who is responsible and how do we fix this and yet the answers aren't anywhere to be found like this this just doesn't sit right with me mm-hmm. well yeah i mean she, she she did a lot for the city you know she gave back and and then when crunch time came uh, there was no response or there was a delayed response but you know it, it's it's not this is not just about her. I mean, this is, you know, anybody on that street who, who would have had a stroke that night. You're right. And, you know, and that, that's, you know, that's why I'm talking to you because it's just not right. <laughs> we, we need an ambulance when we need an ambulance. You don't call that often for an ambulance in your life. But if, when you do, you need it and you need it to come right away. If you had the opportunity to sit down 
face-to-face with the health minister, Adrian Dix, what, what would you ask him? What would be your first thing? What would be the first thing that comes to mind? Well, it, it would be sort of, first in terms of my sister, just a thorough explanation of what went wrong that night. But, but even bigger and more important is how are we going to change this? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how is this, what has to be done to um, make our ambulance service effective again? And I, I don't know the answers to that, but all I know is that when we needed it, it wasn't there. So, I, I, you know, I'd ask, is it more money? Is it, you know, priorities? What, what, what is going wrong here that this is happening now? It's a, it's a great yeah it's a great question to be asking Alan. Uh, before we wrap this up here, and again, I I thank you so much for giving us some time and, and speaking on on something that has to be difficult. I I know personally having sat next to my dad uh, at the bed of his hospital. By the way, it was only just me. My mom couldn't sit with us together. It would we would have to rotate because COVID policies in that hospital means you can't have all family members just one at a time. It was it was a very right. tough thing yeah. and difficult thing, but. Is there anything that our listeners can do to try and help out, whether it's, it's you know, sending some kind of a charitable donation or, or anything like that, like a GoFundMe? Is there anything that you're, you and your family have looked into to just try and create uh, some sort of a positive out- outcome or outlook into all of this? Is there anything our listeners can do for you? Um, <laughs> if they could maybe feel some of the outrage that I feel. Hmm. And if they could ask the questions that I'm asking, and if they could ask themselves, what are they going to do if a family member has a stroke and it's, it's over an hour before the ambulance gets there? And, and just try and imagine that situation for their family and then, you know, start asking <laughs> the questions as to why it went wrong. And, and, I, and I guess I'm laughing because I don't know who to ask. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there has to be a huge discussion about what's going wrong before the next person is paralyzed or dies from this lack of response. Well, a civic election is coming up next month on October 15th, and certainly it's going to take that plus extra. We need to examine this on a provincial level. We need to see if the federal government can act and try to assist with this issue because these are Canadian citizens, Canadian residents that are at risk of dying because they have to wait, in some cases like your sister, two hours for an ambulance for something as deadly as a stroke. Alan, thank yeah. you so much for giving us some time. Best of luck. If there's any updates, positive updates, with the, with the status of your sister, please do let us know. We, we'd be happy to share that story as well. Thank you so much. It's a difficult conversation to have, especially to start a show on, on a Friday morning, but I think it's an important one. One that, unfortunately, Alan and the Williams and the Greenwood families, they're not the only ones going through such a horrific experience waiting for an ambulance and i'm not sitting here this morning placing the blame entirely on just the the paramedics and the ambulance i mean they're doing the best they can do right now but the entire system being stretched so thin to the point where somebody having suffered from a stroke it takes them almost two hours to get to the hospital and they lived approximately three blocks away from royal columbia hospital just think about that Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. 
So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. I tend not to feel bad for them because they are literally billionaires and they have everything that they would ever want in life and more. And um, they're just trying to make more money, which is which is really unfortunate. It's, it's good to see the NHL get recoup some of that cost, but a lot of it is because the owners want more money which is uh which is frustrating but uh, they're successful for a reason so we'll leave it at that that's right we found out this morning that the nhl owners have approved a plan to go forward with adding advertisements to the jerseys starting in the 2022-23 season this coming just a year after adding advertisements to the helmets now i do want to say right out of the gate that when it comes to jerseys and the more aesthetic part of the game everything here is up to personal opinion and there definitely are two pretty good sized groups of people when it comes to this issue of adding ads to jerseys. There are definitely a fair number of people who really just don't care, and maybe even some who for some reason like the fact that there's going to be ads on jerseys. And then there's probably the majority of people who really, really do not like that jerseys starting in 2022 will be tainted with corporate sponsorships. Ah, indeed. Welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. John Jang filling in today. Now, if you couldn't tell based on that intro, the NHL has introduced a new advertising feature this year. While not every single NHL team is going to have it, the league has introduced advertisements on the jerseys themselves. And you can hear very, if you, if you just focus, you can hear all of Quebec sighing, crying, heaving all of these things because the Montreal Canadiens jersey the timeless Canadian sweater it now looks tarnished according to some hockey fans it's something the NHL approved back in 2021 but didn't introduce until now but is it really the evil that fans believe it to be or is it an overblown exaggerations because we generally just hate and fear change to provide some insight rather we're going to speak with Kellen Toshkin he's a former professional hockey player he was once property of the Vancouver Canucks spent six years playing pro in north america as well as europe kellen thank you so much for giving us some time yeah nice nice to hear from you john now we bring you on to the show today because the whole hockey world is kind of torn right down the middle my friend 50 percent of nhl fans are excited to to just have the nhl you know fully back and not worrying about covid the other 50 percent up in arms man they are fully outraged that the nhl has adopted ads on jerseys so i wanted to ask you and speak with you man because you played in europe where ads on jerseys on sweaters like it's it's been around for decades so what is your position on whether or not the nhl is making a good decision by employing these ads on their jerseys well i when when you look at the amount of money lost from the pandemic Obviously, uh, you know, they needed to find revenue in different areas. And putting ads on helmets was tremendous. Uh, and ads on jerseys, I mean, it's just... At the end of the day, when owners make more money, the league's healthier. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you look at any business, right? That's normally how it goes. Salary caps go up. You know, they're able to spend more money in different ways. Um, as he said, when I was playing in Europe, you know, obviously we weren't making a ton with gate sales. You know, we would still get, you know, depending on the league, still get, you know, really good showing in terms of fans. But at the end of the day, our sponsors were, you know, the biggest part of, you know, why our teams were able to thrive. Uh, obviously, it's a lot different with promotion and relegation in Europe. But, mm-hmm. you know, I even think back to my days in the in the ECHL and the American Hockey League. It's, you know, the ads have always been on jerseys, on helmets. Um, and to be honest, it's, it's not surprising that it's happened. Um, personally, between you and me, I, 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 I can understand why people are upset, but at the end of the day, it's going to make the NHL more money. It's going to make the NHL healthier. It's going to make the products better. Uh, and that's what you want. You know, fans invest their time and money. It's an investment. You want return on investment. Little things will make the league better. So at the end of the day, I, I think it's going to be, you know, better for the league. I understand people are thinking, you know, well, it's, so it's all about money. Well, at the end of the day, when you go to any rink in the league, <laughs> what's, well, what, are, what are they called? You know, you look at Rogers Arena here. Uh, I mean, Rogers has their footprint on a lot of arenas. But at the end of the day, you know, any major sport, uh, they are corporate. That's and right. we're dealing with, you know, we're dealing in a corporate world. So again, uh, it's it's not surprising personally. It's it's going to make the NHL more money. And what you know, you and I were chatting earlier. I think it was around 100 million that that the helmet ads, you know, and you just think of how much more visibility you're yep. going to be on jerseys. Yep. It's going to be a lot more. Well, to your point, Kellen, like. The fact that the NHL and, you know, a lot of different other sports leagues struggled throughout COVID, didn't have games or didn't have fans in the stadiums. Like this is one way the NHL can avoid increasing the cost of a ticket, right? Because instead of doing that and charging fans more to get in, they can keep tickets the same price, but then just do this ad thing. So in a way, you could almost make the argument they're trying to help you save money. Yeah, I, uh, I love I love your naive approach, John. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest, though, like you're you're not necessarily wrong. I, do I think that's what teams are trying to do? You know, I I uh, between you and me, I don't think they care. Fair. Having said that, it, it doesn't matter to the consumer. So if we are able to pay fifty bucks, you know, to see the Canucks and Red Wings on a Wednesday night as opposed to 60 bucks. And, you know, and if that is partially because of, of ads on jerseys, again, people are going to be happier if concessions. And I know obviously, you know, not every ownership group, you know, runs the concession stands at rinks, but I believe the Aquilini's do. So again, if this is something that keeps costs down, because we've been seeing it, you know, you look at the price of beer, you know, a decade ago when you would go, for you know a 12 ounce it would be what probably seven bucks whereas now i think it's closer to nine or ten so again if if this is helping the consumer because you know out of the eighteen thousand six hundred people that go to rogers arena for a connects game there are a lot of people who aren't making you know above six figures so at the end of the day you know vancouver is an expensive city if this is going to help the consumer and fans you know save money here or there i don't know i'm i'm all for it because you know as you know, you know, we've both lived in the city for, for quite a while. Yeah. It's, it's an expensive city. So if you can save money here and there, 
you know, this is, this is a very small sacrifice, but you know, as we've been talking about, I understand the hockey purists, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're evolving. Yeah. So are sports, you know I mean? This is just how it's going to go. Are we going to be at a point where we see 10 to 15 different companies on jerseys? Probably not, but I think one in the left or right corner you know, it's not really going to hurt anybody. Fair enough. Uh, we're talking with Kellen Totchkin, a former uh, hockey player, professional hockey player, uh, once uh, was property of the Vancouver Canucks, also played in Europe. Uh, Kellen, uh, l- l- let me bring this point up because the haters, the people that don't want to see the ads on jerseys, they say, like, for the players, it's going to be so embarrassing. They're going to feel like they're walking billboards. Um, you played in Europe, right? So you went through the experience of putting on jerseys that had not just one, but multiple advertisements. Did you ever, like, did anyone in the locker room ever really care about that? Like, was it actually a thing where if you put on that sweater, you were like, oh boy, this is kind of embarrassing? Well, no. And I mean, ask a soccer player who's playing for Manchester City who's mm. making, you know, 60 million pounds a year. <laughs> ask them if they care. And again, obviously, <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a different approach to take to it. To be honest, John, players aren't going to care at all. I mean, this is... I'm like I'm trying to think of a, you know, of a comparison that's that's a little more that's that's a little nicer. But at the end of the day, players aren't going to care if it's yeah. going to help raise the salary cap, if it's going to help make the product better. Players are all for it, and you know, playing in Sweden, uh, you know, with a couple of different Canadians, I never once cared. I mean, for. I think four of the uh, companies that were on our jersey out of the however many we had were paying my salary. So there at the go. end of the day, oh. you know, I mean, for 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 hockey players, you know, and obviously I wasn't making NHL money, but um, you know, it's it's it, they help us make a living, and you know, it's a very comfortable living. But at the end of the day, for NHL players, I, I don't think I would be very surprised if there were conversations at all about about this like that that to me would be something that that would surprise me a ton uh you know i mean and and i remember you know years ago with bc hockey they had talked about you know implementing that at um their programs of excellence and they didn't and now you know bc hockey is having a ton of problems you know keeping kids against the you know canadian sport academies right um you know, and again, it's that trickle-down effect that if companies are willing to invest, why not take it? And it doesn't matter if you're a billion-dollar industry like the NHL or if you're a nonprofit like BC Hockey. At the end of the day, it's just good business, and good business leads to a better product. And at the end of the day, I think what you say makes so much sense. It is a business, and I think people have to remember that. Uh, he is Kellen Totchkin. He's a current BC scout for the WHL's Calgary Hitman, a former professional hockey player. Kellen, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Always appreciate your insight, and good to hear from a former pro exactly what they think and feel about this hockey jersey ad business. So thanks a lot for this. Yeah, nice to hear from you, John. Have a great rest of the day. And welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. John Jang here with you, filling in for Mike. Uh, he's back on Monday, but I'm hoping you're enjoying a lovely Friday morning, 10.34 so far. Now, last week, as you probably remember, the Bank of Canada once again raised uh, interest rates. Uh, Rabina Ahmed Hawk, a personal finance expert, spoke with Global News on what exactly led to that specific increase. 
but year over year, we're still paying 7.6% uh, for that same basket of goods. And when you drill down, things like groceries and household goods are in the double digits year over year. That's how much those prices have climbed. So they have to deal with inflation. Now, we know what this means for you and I at the grocery store. Certainly, we've seen that trickle down into gas prices, mortgage, all of those variable rates. But if the cost of essential food products are getting expensive for us, what does that mean for restaurants and restaurateurs? Restaurants Canada announcing today that they're also probably going to see many restaurants within their association raising prices on their menu by approximately 10 to 15 percent. So joining us with a look into these rising costs for these businesses is our good friend Ian Tostenson. He is the president, CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. Good morning, Ian. Morning, John. How you doing? Doing all right. Glad to have you with us. Uh, so take us into this decision. Obviously, Ian, I would, uh, I would imagine at least it's not just inflation driving this decision, but what's happened to the entire sector over the past couple of years. Well, you know, and you mentioned it. Kudos to Restaurant Canada. They did a deep dive in this, and they, they're, they're great at this kind of stuff. We, um, we, so we're seeing that in, in general in talking to some, uh, a lot of our, of our uh, restaurants in D.C., we're seeing maybe an average of eight percent price increase uh, that we, this year in restaurants. Mm. We um, we don't we, we don't have to pass on all the food costs because we buy wholesale. So there's a little bit of a blunting effect there. But there's some interesting things going on. That's it's not all bad news. Is that you know we're masters at being able to put forward a value equation for our guests, which is really important. The last thing you want to do is scare people away because you know it's like. We just don't take inflation and, and flow it through. For example, food, some of our food prices have gone up 13% this year. Some of our labor costs are up close to 10% this year. Um, but we're not necessarily passing that on. We're just trying to find different mixes, different efficiencies. Um, so an example would be, John, uh, let's say that you are buying a burger and a French fries and a salad all bundled into something for $18. Hmm. Maybe um, we take the salad and make it a bit smaller or, or not as many French fries. There's a lot of food waste that goes on. And just keep that price and or even reduce it a little bit so that, you know, the last thing that we need right now are people going is too expensive to go out. It is expensive to live, period. But um, we've got a, a, I think one of the things that was quite apparent in the research that was done is that we have this pent-up desire um, to go out and you are seeing really quite healthy sales in restaurants. Um, people aren't necessarily going out in the morning and doing your snacky thing. They're sort of saving it to go out at nighttime. And because we still need that sociability that we missed so much during the pandemic. So we're, we're managing it. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to see sticker shock. But, we are, but there's no question prices have to go up a, a bit. But I think that by and large, um, you know, we'll be able to put our best foot forward here. I'm glad to hear that much at the very least. Uh, I'm wondering, Ian, if you found it interesting that maybe over the past couple of years with COVID having played a big factor in all this, you mentioned food waste. There seems to be an increased amount of companies out there that are now making it available for customers or interested restaurants to essentially buy produce from them. This produce, though, isn't just your regular produce that you and I would go and pick out at the grocery store. These are the ugly produce, the cheaper produce, the produce that most of us probably wouldn't want to choose, but they still you know, they still checked it. It's still good quality. It just looks ugly. And so there's a cheaper alternative. Like for suppliers, though, I imagine that's not so easy to do because you're working in such bulk quantities. But isn't that interesting that we're seeing alternatives come through even in difficult times? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a whole area that needs to be uh, organized and much more public. 
And I think, you know, um, because we do, I mean, and it, and that's, you know, the, the French, I, I mean, for my personally, I see French fries on a, on a plate and half of them never get eaten. Right. I don't, right. um, they're good. The first few, but uh, and they get thrown away. I mean, what are you going to do with them? So in, in managing the efficiency for the sake of cost pressure in a restaurant is a good thing. But equally, there are companies that are starting to come in now that say, okay, how do we transfer this now? In most cases, it's uncooked food. Uh, into consumers' hands. Um, it's kind of like a food bank strategy. The other side of that is there is cooked food, and I don't know how this would ever happen, but there's. you just think about what we could do, how powerful we could be. It happened during the pandemic where restaurants were cooking for you know, uh, folks, even particularly in downtown east side, mm. if there is a way to do that. So I think that's something part of the future, mm-hmm. but I think it definitely makes a lot of sense. But, of course, behind all that is health. Yeah. you know, is, is transferring food and, and all that kind of stuff. So, but um, no, I think there's some creativity around that for sure, John. All right. Uh, we're in conversation with Ian Tossenson. He's the president and CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. Ian, uh, another topic here that I would love to speak with you about is the fact that every month, it seems, I'm reading about a longtime uh, Vancouver restaurant establishment closing their doors for good. Is this something you're also kind of monitoring? Because it seems like there's a variety of factors, but again, those increasing prices, not just for the food and supplies, but as uh, a lot of these businesses are re-upping their leases, they're finding it way too unaffordable. Yeah, I think Rose is it Roses in Port Moody closed after uh, yeah. thirty years. That's an institution. And I think she said she should be running the the BC Restaurant Association because she's she just said, look, you know what the problem is? There's no workers. Hmm. I can't do this anymore. She said it so well, and that's probably the biggest challenge if we because we, we have business. Um, but we are really labor starved, and it's not restaurants, John. It's a demographic issue. Yeah, you know the the the, the fifteen to twenty four age group that we had great access to for many many years of dried up. It's that's plateaued, and a lot of people are retiring. So we 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 need to bring in skilled workers. I've been saying that for, but the federal government's kind of slow on that one, and we're trying to get them to go. That's right. But they're exhausted, and so there you can imagine. I was talking to a business owner. Uh, they own three Italian restaurants in Vancouver, and the owner was working the kitchen and working the floor the night that I went in. Hmm. And he said, and then I, and I also talked to bike owner, and he said, I've been doing this for 30 years, and he said, I'm here every day, seven days a week. I cannot find labor. I cannot find bike mechanics. So yeah. it's everywhere. And that's the biggest problem that restaurants are they're exhausted and saying, well, it's not worth it. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and there's not enough money because you're now – now you're now pulling back in hours. Um, you're closing in days you didn't want to close, and all these. And then suddenly you go, you know, what's the point of this? Because we don't make a lot of money to begin with, and now we're probably make, not making any money at all. Well, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this one, Ian, because my parents are restaurateurs. They uh, they have a restaurant in Canmore, Alberta. And it's the exact same scenario. They've been doing this for over 20 years. They can't find enough staff to help out. So my parents, you know, my dad is uh, 62. My, my mom is, you know, 60. So it's difficult for them, but they're working. All those manual labor jobs, yeah. um, even though I hate the fact that they're working so hard, but they can't, they, there's no alternative right now. So well, it, it, it's yeah, a big problem. Yeah, owner told me, said, if I leave, I mean, if I'm not here, I'm the I'm the value of the business, and then yeah. and then I have no business to sell. So, you know, I, if I want to buy my dad's business, I'm going to say, "What are your revenues?" And say, "Well, they're way down." 
And they say, well, we've been closing. We take some holidays. It doesn't work that way. So it's really difficult. It yeah, totally yeah. See, we've had conversations be- between my parents and I. Like, why don't you sell? Well, it's a terrible time to sell, John. This is a terrible business decision because our numbers are down. You want to sell when you're yeah. at a high, and we have to wait to get back to that high. And so it's it's been a point of frustration they, between between they us. Have you saying, John, come home and work the restaurant? <laughs> They've tried. You know, fun story, Ian. My mom actually fired me. I, I've I've been I've been I've been laid off in this media industry before, but uh, I've only been fired on the spot once, and that was my mom because I spilled tea in front of customers, and so it was just too shameful. Uh, yeah. a great life, great life lesson in life. Huh? Oh boy! Absolutely, never spill the tea. That's both metaphorical and literal, if you want to take it that way. Ian, uh, thank you so much for giving us some time. I know it's tough out there, but always appreciate yeah. your conversations here on the station. Thank well, you. John, you know we're hospitality, and we'll do everything with a smile. Even we'll get through the tough times together. We appreciate all the business that people bring us. Thank you so much. You're the best. Thanks, Ian. Bye. Welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. It's John Jang here filling in. Um, Mike, we'll be back with you on Monday, just in case you're wondering. Now, I swear that we as a people, as a generation, as a collective global community, we have run out of all the good ideas. Like, this is it. We have peaked. It's the only explanation. Because all you see now, when you're sifting through the films, the TV shows, and the video games that are just all out there right now, all it is are reboots, restarts, and repeats. Don't believe me? Take a listen to this major game announcement from Nintendo and try to guess which year this announcement was made. Take a listen. More Nintendo 64 games are on the way. Pilot Wings 64. Mario Party. Mario Party 2. Mario Party 3. Pokemon Stadium. Pokemon Stadium 2. 1080 Snowboarding. Excite Bike 64. These games will gradually be added in the future. You can play a selection of Nintendo 64 games and enjoy many more gaming benefits with an active Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack membership. Oh, and there's one more game we should mention. Yeah, that was three days ago. That announcement from Nintendo was three days ago. What year is it? I'm having a hard time trying to keep track of everything that's being rehashed and sold to us as if it was brand new all over again. So I need help. I need some backup to join us now to maybe help me get off this ledge a little bit is our good friend Andy Barrar. He's our uh, technology and digital lifestyle expert at HandyAndyMedia.com. You can hear him once a week on The Shift with uh, Shane Hewitt. Andy, help me out here. How you doing? Hi, John. Um, I'm pretty sure that Nintendo wants me to come out of video game retirement. <laughs> you know, during the start of the pandemic, 
you know, I was thinking, I was like, this would be a good time to get a PS5 because mm. I'm doing my part, staying at home, staying safe. Right. And then the logical side of my brain was like, that is the worst idea ever, you know, because I'm just going to sit on the couch for hours on end. So I decided, you know what, that's it. Something I've been doing since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm going to officially retire from video games. And then I hear that and it makes me want to go right back <laughs> into it. It's, it's a, you know what, like I get it. Like nostalgia, it sells, right? Just like as we used to hear sex sells nostalgia definitely sells and as millennials are getting older they're starting to see like oh my goodness all my childhood memories and moments are being marketed and resold to me all over again but andy like why is this actually happening like it's not just video games that we're poking fun at here with like nintendo and super mario and all these things it's movies it's tv shows you look at um what's happening now with like lord of the rings and, and game of thrones like these are all kind of, uh, again, redone threads that are just happening all over again, like we're stuck in this time loop. Yes, I always I give the analogy of just milking the cow dry because if you look at these franchises, that's exactly what they're doing. Look at Star Wars. When Disney bought right. and purchased Star Wars, they are going to milk that cow dry. They're actually even considering now Disney doing what Amazon has with their Prime uh, subscription. So you would pay an annual fee, and if you watch a lot of Star Wars, which they can tell on Disney+, Plus, they'll start offering you perks to go to Disney for different Star Wars wow. events. Wow. So they, this is why. This is why everything that's old is becoming new again, because they understand that you know, we have this attachment, this nostalgic attachment to these iconic franchises or video games in this case with uh, the the new GoldenEye that's being re-released after 25 years. Yeah. It was, it was the, I remember this, John. I bought that game, okay? I was. Oh, yeah. Nintendo 64, I don't think people remember, 64 bits. That was huge. Like, I was about 15 at the time. I got a job at Zeller's just so I could buy it <laughs> on a discount. That was, I was salivating for two weeks until I got my paycheck so I could buy uh, that console. Right. So I remember this game very well. And I think that's why they're re releasing it. Because the average gamer today is between 34 and 44. Okay. So these are, these are people who have children now and they want to relive that that experience of their childhood with their kids and no better way than one of the seminal first person shooter games. That was the first game, John, where you had a splits four different screens and you right. could have four of your, right. three of your friends over and playing all at the same time. See, like the video games things, I, I can somewhat understand because kids today still want to be entertained. And if you're, um, you know, a young parent, let's say you are the millennial age bracket, you're in your late 30s, early 40s, whatever that may be. Sure, maybe this interests you. But what about the failures? What about things like this that come out, Andy, and it just doesn't work? For example, the latest Matrix reboot. And I'm not talking about like the, the, the sequels that came after the original Matrix came out in 1999. I'm talking about the one that came out just back in December with Keanu Reeves and Lauren, you know, like basically the same cast and crew almost, but it didn't work. And, and this is just one example. It happens so frequently where we see reboots, retreads just kind of get panned. So at this point, is anyone going to stand up and be bold enough to say, let's bring back the original stories, the original scripts, the original movies and films, because that's where there's still such great opportunities. I've always been surprised that, that, you know, when you have loyal, loyal fans, I'm surprised that these studios don't crowdsource on what the future of that franchise would be because you should listen to the people, the audience that are actually going to view or play your games. And, you know, just the other day, Jean, 
Beverly Hills Cop. I heard they're making a reboot. Eddie Murphy is going to reprise his role. Wow. And that was a that was back in the like, the late eighties. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just you you said it best. Like, does anybody have original ideas? But I really think you know if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. And mm. that's why they're doing this because they understand. Hey, maybe there's still a market for this. Maybe we can make rather than take that risk and try to build something completely original. And this is also why you'll see people like Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, who's like in his 70s, still performing because they know he can attract a crowd. Uh, it brings people back. <laughs> Play the hits. You, you know, Roger Waters, maybe. But you know who I actually blame for all of this, Andy? Like there's actually one individual to me that stands out. It's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I'm not kidding you because you might be going like, what? Why? Dwayne The Rock Johnson extended the life shelf, or the shelf life, pardon me, of the Fast and the Furious franchise. If The Rock never became a Hollywood actor, that franchise and, and universe would have been over by now. Instead, we're on to like what? Fast and Furious 10? Fast and Furious uh-huh. 11? And people are paying count. hundreds of millions of dollars into the box office. It's becoming a huge success. And I, do, I don't get it. These movies are not good. Why are cars flying through the air and going underwater? Like, that's not... At some point, it lost the plot. The original film of The Fast and Furious was a group of California, L.A.-based street racers. Now they're saving the world again and again and again. So this is my frustration. All right, welcome back. It's the Mike Smith Show. John Jang here filling in for Mike. He's back on Monday, and our good friend Andy Barrar is here as well. He's a uh, technology and digital lifestyle expert. you got to check out the website, handyandymedia.com. Andy... I've taken a glass of water. I'm, I'm feeling a bit more calm, but I'm still adamant that reboots and repeats should not be a thing. But in the interest of trying to have a balanced conversation, we're opening up the phone boards here at 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell, because someone could have a different opinion. Doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Nobody's perfect. But let's see what Steve out in Steveston has to say. Good morning, Steve. Hey, John and Andy. Uh, yeah, my, my opinion. So just a, a, a bit of background. Uh, I'm sort of a movie buff, but I, I don't go gaga over stars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, married for the last 30 years. Uh, I'm close to 60. My, my wife's close to 50. Now, my wife loves this Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I don't know if it's Fast and Furious 47 or 48 that's right. coming on. Right. But she will go out and she'll buy the, the, the Blu-ray. I go, honey. It's it's all it's all digital now. Oh, she just likes it. Um, from her point of view, I think she loves looking at the the muscular guy, <laughs> right? Like like the, the Vin Diesel. She loves the gentleman that got killed, Paul Walker. Right. And she loves looking at Vin Diesel with her shirt off. So that's cool. And for, as far as I can for the guys, fair. I mean, we just happened to watch one there with uh, Gal Gadot, very attractive lady, and also the the actress who played Ramsey. Um, so I, I can appreciate that. I'm a car guy. But some of these remakes, like Jumanji with, with The Rock. Oh, man. I, mean, I, I, I love The Rock. Yeah. But I was really hoping for some Robin Williams magic as well. Um, of course, he, he wasn't there That's to, right. to do anything yeah. with the film. But I was, I was extremely disappointed. Well, so I, I think, Steve, I, you, would have, you would have even more of a reason to be angry with the Jumanji remake because the original was filmed throughout British Columbia. Like, there were parts of oh, Jumanji I, that were filmed in Delta, if I remember correctly. I, I'm with you. Yeah, the home was off of uh, Shaughnessy. And actually, I ran into Robin Williams when he was oh, wow. filming it in 94. Yeah, that, that was really cool. But, uh, yeah, some of the remakes, like, 
I, it's, it's, it's no wonder why they flop, but it's, I'm of a different generation, right? Fair. Well, hey, Steve, thank you for the call. And to be fair, yeah, if your wife enjoys uh, the Fast and the Furious uh, franchise and the reason why is because she's eye, you know, it's eye candy, I can't hate that. You know what? We're all human beings. We all enjoy things, too. I get it. And if that's it, if that's the reason why these franchises are selling like hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office, okay, that's a reasonable take. But Andy, like, I don't, are, is anyone sitting here? objectively like saying or arguing that the fra- um, the fast and the furious franchise like they're good movies like nobody could make that <laughs> argument right no no and i i don't even think the writers they're probably laughing while they were writing it right. you know it's like you know again what what number are we at again but you know what paycheck to paycheck i'll give you a script um but like he's right like people just kind of get attached or you get really mad i see this with star wars a lot of of the purists they're like they ruined it you know they should have just stopped it when george lucas you know said it was over but uh that's fans you know it's just like sports teams you love your team or or you hate them and people are very binary when it comes to different types of franchises not only in movies but also video games as well let me put you on the spot here andy and and let me ask you what's the best original film that you have seen in the past number of years and i'll give you a few moments to think about it because my pick would be baby driver now we know like the controversy surrounding kevin spacey and uh, certainly not endorsing that but as for the film itself baby driver i thought it was marvelous Edgar Wright was the director. He's also done a bunch of other films like Shaun of the Dead, the whole trilogy that goes with those uh, particular films. It is just a good mix of great music. The soundtrack is killer. The script, it's, it's well written. The character development, the action scenes, the cinematography, like all of it was so good. And I was so impressed, Andy, because it, it just feels like such a rare thing now to go to a, uh, go to a movie theater, sit down, Choose to watch a non-franchised film and actually be impressed. Like, that doesn't happen very often anymore. No, and I think a lot of it's hard just to market it now, right? If you have an old franchise, it's really easy for it to market. Like, if you look at GoldenEye, that that game, which after 25 years of being re-released on the Switch... It got a lot of press in of itself by just, you know, saying, hey, we got the new GoldenEye coming out. But it's not even new. It's the old game. That's right. People are going, they're not even redoing it. They're just taking the old game and putting it on the Switch and allowing multiplayer, which back in 1997 when it came out, (laughs) we didn't have that. We had dial-up. That's right. We, We barely could... You know, the first time I actually gamed online was 1996 on dial-up. I was in this league for playing NHL hockey on a PC. Nice, okay. No, that's that's pretty nerdy. So, like, um, that's that throwback. technology wasn't that's there. That, and yeah, that technology wasn't there. And I think, you know, that's another reason. When you say that, hey, we got a new Top Gun movie, it's going to hit the airwaves. Everyone's going to be talking about it. So you really don't have to put a lot of money behind it as opposed to a brand new movie, something that's completely original. You're going to have to make those trailers. You're going to have to make those teasers. You're going right. to have to try to create that demand. Whereas with these old franchises, that demand is still there, whether it's good or bad, people are going to love or to hate it. That demand exists rather than the originals. And that's probably why we don't see anything new these days fair enough uh, we will take one more caller here we got chris from langley on the line chris we've got about 30 seconds but to what point would you like to make when you're hearing this debate well first i'd say that goldeneye was uh one of the best games ever yeah actually created uh back in the day uh but i was just going to say to add to what you're saying about uh, creating the buzz you know demographics i, I just went to thor 
the new Thor movie, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was like uh, me, my family, and two others there. So about five people in the theater. So mm. I wonder if it's just a, a matter of uh, younger people aren't going to the movies like us older people were. So you're able to create that buzz through the demographic of, of, of you know, uh, you know, if keying in on the, the people that used to go and trying yeah. to bring those people you back. You know what, Chris? So you know, the polling thing. Yeah, hey, Chris, I appreciate the call here. I think you make a really good point. Honestly, I didn't think of it that way. Like if people... If, for example, if experts and salespeople and advertisers know that millennials are now the buying category of people that are living, uh, Andy, that makes sense to me. Maybe that's why all of these reboots and rehashes are happening. But, Andy, uh, really appreciate you giving us a few minutes here today and talking me off the ledge. You've succeeded. I'm calmed down now. So thank you, sir. And we'll talk to you very soon. My pleasure, John. Just remember, you're just getting old like I am. That's what, <laughs> this is what happens. Old but gold. And I think that's important to uh, remember as well. Uh, he's Andy Brower. Check out his website, handyandymedia.com.